the Awareness Revolution Podcast, where we bring you alternative views on big topics that affect just about everyone. If you want to improve your life and change the world, then stay tuned. You'll hear cutting-edge health, financial, and personal development strategies from a revolutionary perspective. Warning, listening may take you outside your comfort zone, separate you from the pack, and change the way you see the world. Here's your host, Jeremy Kinney. Welcome everyone. Thanks for watching another video on the Awareness Revolution. Today I've got a great treat for you. We've got the one and only Dana Martin in here today, and we're going to cover a good range of topics and topics I've never covered before on this channel. So let's start it off and get to it right away. Dana, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Could you tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what brings you to Anarchapoco? Okay, well, thanks for having me, guys. And I really have connected with both of you since I've been here. It's been so great to meet you, and so I'm so happy to do this interview. My name is Dana Martin. I'm an author and an advocate for something called radical unschooling. It's also known as peaceful parenting. Uh, I had a talk here. I've been at Anarchapoco for four years in a row. Awesome. Since the beginning, they've invited me. <laughs> this is my fourth year, and man, is it huge now. It's enormous. There's so many people. Um, but the talk I did was called Breeding Freedom, How Control Kills Childhood. And so what I shared about was uh, the difference between an authoritarian parenting paradigm and a partnership-based one, mm -hmm. and how to model peace and respect to kids, ultimately. That was the underlying uh, theme of the entire event. So I'm happy to break that down for you if you want to ask me specific questions. Yeah, well, I think um, maybe for the audience, they would really be interested in hearing um, what you were saying about the basically like the business of being born, the difference between the C-section rates and the prices and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, partnership with your child and peaceful parenting starts from the very beginning, and I don't think most people realize that. So one thing I love to share with people is that hospital birth is a real kind of conspiracy. It's, it's a money, it's a business. Hospitals are businesses and you're, all these people that are there are getting paid to be there to, to make money off of you essentially. Mm -hmm. So certain things are really pushed and you need to be in a situation where they want to rescue you and use all these interventions to rescue you. So it's, it's a place to have a highly medicalized birth, not necessarily a, a natural peaceful birth. So I could share about that. In the U.S. right now, I think the C-section rate is over 25%. I think it's 40, almost like 45% here in Mexico. It's, it's really high in Mexico. Um, and the reason why is just because, for, well, for one, women are afraid of birth. I mean, one thing I was saying during my talk, and I don't know if you had this experience, but when you find out you're pregnant for the first time, women can't wait to just, like, petrify you. Yeah. Like, to outdo each other. Oh, like, yeah. oh, my gosh, my labor was, you know, 50 hours long, and the baby had to be pulled out of me with forceps, and then they had to resuscitate. And the scarier and more painful and more, more long and traumatic it was, like, you win. I think it's, it's weird. From a young age, girls are told that birth is going to be painful and terrifying. It's almost like how we want to imprint a little birth control, you know, it's mm -hmm. going to be bad, so don't make sure you don't get pregnant. And mm -hmm. then you finally get there and you want it to be a happy, enjoyable experience. And it turns into something out of your control that you end up giving up your power. And your experience is totally different from actually having a natural birth and feeling like, yeah, I went through that and I came out on top. And that was mm -hmm. really empowering. And that's what I found from uh, my home birth. You really do come out feeling like you just 
achieved something that is like a rite of passage. Mm-hmm. And that was a big part of it for me. And Definitely. Yeah, hospitals are too much into liability, and they just want to, you know, stay to their schedules, and that's not how natural birth works. And it's really not, they're too afraid of liability issues. They're afraid of covering their asses is like number one always, and making money. So the health of the mother and baby, they make seem as though it's the most important but it's really about them and covering themselves. And most of the decisions, uh, so they don't get sued, are, aren't the healthiest for mothers and babies. And one is a C-section. If, if they can say that they've tried everything to save that baby, a C-section is like the ultimate thing to save a, chi- a child in that view mm-hmm. and in and, and a like law, like liability kind of mm-hmm. view. So when they have had a C-section, they have tried everything, they've done everything, and they're all set. So they really are quick to jump to surgery with Mm -hmm. any little variation because they're like, I don't want to get sued, I don't want to get in trouble. Uh So I think you have to kind of understand that going into it, that the chance of you having a natural birth is extremely slim. Right, and they are all about intervention. You know, their uh, procedures go by certain rules, and if they don't intervene, they're liable. Mm -hmm. And when they do intervene, they mess up everything. And like you were explaining about Pitocin being a completely unnatural contraction of the uterus, it's very painful, it sends the baby and, you know, mom into, you know, crazy vital Distress, signs. right. Yes. And um, then they come along and they save the day with the C-section. It's right. Then you're thanking them, like, thank God I was here in the hospital. Thank, <laughs> right. thank God, if I can't even imagine, I could have never had a home birth. I would have died. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and, and you, you can understand why people are manipulated to believe that. I, I think compassionate understanding is key because when we, when we get super angry about those thing, these things and you really promote it in an angry way, like I can say it to this group that hospital birth is a total conspiracy. But mm-hmm. if I was to say that to like childbirth students that I have or just out in the mainstream, people would be like, this, this lady's crazy. Yeah. So the way I approach it is kind of, when I'm speaking to the average person, is that they mean well, they're well-intentioned, um, but this is really what they're focused on. And, and so I think it's important to know your audience and how to mm-hmm. speak about it. So you are a doula, yes? Um, I'm a doula, yep, and a childbirth teacher. I've written a book about birth. Yep, so and I'm also a midwife. Are you? Mm-hmm. Okay, you're hired. <laughs> yes. Midwife retired. So uh, not really. Yes. Cool. When we when she was pregnant, we were telling people that we were going to have a home birth, and people were like, "I would be afraid to have my baby at home." I'm like, "We're afraid to have it in a hospital." Right. <laughs> it's such a different paradigm. Exactly. Yeah. And I was there's so much else I want. I wished I would have said when I was up doing my talk. I think that's the hardest thing about being an advocate and public speaker is like you, you have your moment. And then for me personally, when it's over, I'm like, oh, I should have said instead of going, you did amazing, sweet, you know, yeah. I'm not that type of person. So I'm laying in bed going, oh, gosh, I, I did OK, but I should have said this, this, this and this. Um, but I mean, it's so, so essential to do, to do your homework and to research. Mm-hmm. But a, a trained doula and midwife or midwife, they know what to look for as signs of something kind of getting out of the range of normal. And that's when you transfer to the hospital. So, I mean, it, it's, it's just a matter of hiring somebody knowledgeable. Right. And I remember when my midwife showed up um, at our house on the night of the birth, she came with oxygen tanks and a whole bunch of gear and mm-hmm. a birthing tub. And she said, we can pretty much do almost anything outside of surgery and, you know, mm-hmm. most, you know, serious medicine and stuff. But they came well prepared. It was not some, you know, little 
I don't know how to describe it, what I imagine. Right, it's not, it's... It's it, very medical and professional, and it was still mm -hmm. comfortable. And when I was panicking, you know, in that state where you're hitting the point where you wonder if you can go on, it's like, oh, I'm so tired, and all these things, and you're starting to worry, and you look over, and your midwife is crocheting a hat. And you're like, well, she's not freaking out, mm -hmm. so I'm pretty sure everything's good. That is so, so important and so essential. In fact, during that time when things get really intense, mm -hmm. right before pushing... If a woman starts to kind of freak out, I know that that's during that's transition, mm -hmm. and because that's normal, like one in four women really kind of lose it, like yeah. and just get really panicked, and it's hormones, it's the it's the realization that this is going to happen, right? <laughs> it's the like giving up control yeah. completely and, exactly. and surrendering to what's happening, and that to me, if you don't go through that, that's so symbolic. That's mm -hmm. the rite of passage, mm -hmm. is letting go of control and saying. This is another human, and this is happening right now, and I'm releasing all control and l allowing them to be born and working with my body instead of against it. So it's that in itself, the energetic rite of passage of surrendering that I think you, you need, don't you? Mm -hmm. Like becoming a, a fiercely protective mother. Yes. And, and women in a hospital never go through that surrender. So which the hospital basically stills that. Um, that moment, that, that whole process mm -hmm. from mothers. And then a lot of times they take the baby away right away. Mm -hmm. Like for example, when my, um, my brother's daughter was born, the doctor shortly after like my, he, my dad or my brother even held her, the doctor took the baby from his arms and started walking into the other room. Luckily he knew enough, you know, for me, he was like, where are you taking her? He said, oh, I'm just gonna give her her vaccines wasn't even going to say anything, and the baby was crying, so we grabbed the baby back, like, you don't just take my newborn baby off in the other room, just like... So and she stopped from... crying, it was so sweet. Aww. Yeah, stop crying, so my brother took yeah. her back. And I mean, so it's, you've got to deal with that, and you've got to deal with the, the increased C-section rate, and, you know, like, the, thing, the way that I think of it is that, like the saying goes, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, and you've got a bunch of surgeons in there, and it's convenient, they make more money, they have um, reduced liability. It's a business decision. Exactly, and so you can't really blame them. They're they're doing what they're what you're paying them to do. Mm -hmm. But most people don't know what they're paying for. Well, and they're trained surgeons. They're not exactly. trained in natural birth. They're trained exactly. for emergencies, and most births aren't emergency situations. I read once um, that a OB, like a surgeon, a doctor. And even nurses in a hospital get about 15 minutes training in all of their studies on natural birth. Wow. So my students that come through or take my class or even read my book or hire me, like they're more knowledgeable in a natural birth. These are student pregnant people, you know, pregnant couples than mm -hmm. the people they're, they want to go and trust in their care. It's like, you know way more than they do. I, I would not be, I would not be oh, going in there. Just hit my heart. I'm Isn't just like, that? Oh my goodness. But it makes sense. Yeah. You're going to a hospital. I mean, like people don't understand that. So if you want a natural birth, you need to hire people that are trained in a nat in, in supporting a natural birth. And if you're somebody who's too afraid to do that, because first time births can be scary for people, hire a doula, take a natural childbirth class, have an advocate with you to ensure that you're not manipulated. Because you will be the second you walk in there. I don't care. They can make hospital hospital um, delivery areas look like birth centers. They can they can put beautiful curtains on the wall and bedspreads and be like, this is the birthing center in the hospital. It's not. It's just all like a front. It's the same exact practices, the same everything. And, right, the same air circulating in this hospital with a bunch of sick people with very strong bacterias and MRSAs and all these, you know, very dangerous stuff floating around in that hospital mm -hmm. space. And they expect a newborn to come and get their whole biome of their skin 
from a hospital environment instead of having them at home where the mom is immune to everything in her environment and she gives mm -hmm. her antibodies and probiotics on her skin to the baby that knows how to deal with that environment. So there's many, many layers to this hospital mm -hmm. birthing. And through and the, the birth canal, too. Mm -hmm. The baby's supposed to go through the birth canal to get the specific probiotics to help protect it. Mm -hmm. And then when you skip that process and it just is exposed to this world, mm -hmm. and especially in a place where, the, where we have antibiotic-resistant bacteria that we've created, it's, a, it's just a, it's a scary combination. Mm. You guys know a lot about this. I, I love talking with you because most people don't have this knowledge and they're, because there's so much to it. It's hard to yeah. cover it all. So you guys are, we need to do this. We need to take this on the road. Yes, this is like, I agree. We could all like fill in the blanks for each other, but, yeah. but all of that's so true. And you know, when a, when a baby is help, when a baby's unmedicated, it helps itself be born. The baby mm -hmm. actually works with the mother in partnership and, and pushes off with their feet as they're coming out. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. And so they work, that's like partnership right there. It's beautiful. Not only is the mother birthing this baby, the baby is helping birth itself mm -hmm. when it's unmedicated and, and I, so much easier. I think it starts before the baby's even born. Like, this baby's wrecking my body. They're going to hurt me. And mm -hmm. they, you kind of almost, not me, but, you know, it tends to be more of an idea of this inconvenience of having a mm -hmm. child. And, um, you know, by having hospital births and this separation exaggerated by bad experiences and all that, um, just sets a bad ground for a, for having a connected, loving parenting system. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, I want to move on to that because well, uh, we could keep going about natural birth. <laughs> um, well, I do have a question because I'm sure there's a lot of people that are watching that will, are thinking, well, what do I do? How do I go about it? So do you have any resources right. where yes. people can find uh, a midwife in their area and, and um, something like that where they can... Yeah, I mean, I would first encourage people to understand that you have been conditioned to see birth in a certain way. So you need to give yourself just as much, give it just as much airtime educating yourself and unconditioning yourself and, and reading about natural birth, normal birth. The movie The Business of Being Born is a great film. I would encourage you definitely to watch that. Um, that's done by Ricky Lake. And there's several other amazing movies out there, but go to YouTube and, and look up water births and look up things like that. And at first it might be a little shocking to natural birth is really raw for people. You know, the whole sterile environment with you're draped and you can't see anything in a hospital birth. Women are totally disconnected from, mm -hmm. we've got Johnny's on and it's just such a different like clean sanitary experience that when you see home birth, it is raw, you know? Yeah. And so it's hard, but, but watch it and it'll become more comfortable to see. And when you see other women doing it, um, I think it can be really, really important to the journey. And also, I encourage people to contact La Leche League. La Leche League is the world's leading authority on breastfeeding. And the reason why I'm saying to, to contact them, go to La Leche League meetings because there's most of the mothers there, it seems like, are more naturally minded. Mm -hmm. And so go to monthly meetings, prepare yourself for breastfeeding, and pregnant women go all the time to those meetings and talk to mothers who have had home births and natural births. And... Yeah, I think, and there, there's meetings all over the world. I mean, I think every city in, in I the world. I think the more that they learn, the more confident they'll be. A yeah, and the more it's normalized. Yeah, right, yeah. right. It's more, more confident, the more normal you make it. So you have to create your reality surrounding how normal this is. And then once you do, it's going to be so much easier. Mm -hmm. Something you said made me think that, I don't know, it's hard to give an image right now, but I, I didn't know that this was even the way it was ever done. But when my, um, my niece was born, I saw the photos, and they literally had the mom tied to the bed, like her hands were tied to the bed. 
And she became hysterical and, it, and ended up with a C-section, but they had her tied down in their first pictures. So, so. she didn't even get to hold the baby for like the, the longest time. Oh, that's and horrible. I didn't even know they still did that. I know. I knew they did it in the 50s, but it's, wow. It seemed like something out of a horror movie. Yeah. It's so with, scary. With everyone, like, no regular clothes. Everyone yeah, wearing everyone the hospital with masks. stuff with the masks. I'm just like... And that's the first thing the baby's seeing mm -hmm. and, and experiencing is, is that awful energy. Yeah. And also the mm -hmm. hospital environment, stuck laying on your back, bright lights, mm -hmm. foreign people, and very All right, That's something else I wanted to say. I'm so glad you said that. I really believe that the only people that should be present for your birth are people that really love you and that are invested in you and your child. And you, you are only, it's like going on a blind date when you go to the hospital. It's yeah. like whoever you happen to get. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's, it's, like it's not, I mean, somebody that doesn't love you or your child, they're never, ever going to be invested in, in yeah. your baby's well-being. They're invested in themselves, getting paid, making sure they don't get sued. Um, pushing what they know how to do. They want to be rest. A lot of these people have hero kind of issues. They they want to be like, and they also are kind of demeaning. Like, oh, sweetheart, you're gonna be okay, honey. Yeah. Let me take care of you. And like, it's it's just a really demeaning, strange, victimized just dynamic. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually had a doula that was a little bit like that. And during labor, I was so irritated by it. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. Like, I would have normally appreciated, you know, the kind words, but I was like, just get off me and, you know, let me mm -hmm. deal with this because it's, yep. it's intense. Um, but I also wanted to, to talk a little bit because we've been going on about how the mom feels. This was an experience for, for Jeremy. I mean, having a home birth, seeing it firsthand, you know, doing the hip pressing where you're, you know, he's mm -hmm. working his heart out to, uh, you know, relieve my pain naturally. And we were up, I think it was a 12-hour labor, 7.30 at night to 10.44 a.m. Mm -hmm. I think it was 15. Yeah, I'm not too good with the numbers. but um, <laughs> And then when, uh, I have to tell this on camera, I'm sorry. But, yeah, when she finally came out and my midwife was like, Jeremy, wash your hands. And, you know, he's catching her and, you know, passing her to me. And the relief of her finally being here, he just burst into tears. Aww. And it was like... That's the kind of thing that will make a man stay with his family forever. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a bond that you can, he stuck with me through this and, you know, he knows what I went through firsthand, knows I didn't take any shortcuts and he worked his butt off too, the entire labor, you know? Mm -hmm. and, Very much um, a part of it. Yeah. And to see you in your power, I think really is important to yes. the parenting dynamic, to see that mom's confident and strong and a fiercely protective mother and you see, when you see her, birth, you're in such awe. It's like you fall in love all over again at a new mm -hmm. level. And I think that's meant to happen. That's supposed yeah. to happen that way. Good point. That yeah. is a good point too. Yeah. Give me like a whole nother level of respect for her. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, wow, she just went through some serious stuff. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. Cool. All yeah. Right. So yeah, once we get to having a small child and they're like, oh, don't let them inconvenience you. Make them go to sleep on their own and mm -hmm. let them cry it out. I have still to this day lay down at night with my daughter. She's six and mm -hmm. we read and I make sure she's had a good day and we end on a good note and there's some closure to the day. And gosh, when she was small, it was hard because we didn't have any family to kind of get that half an hour of relief where, you know, if you're with your baby all the time, you love them so much, but you're exhausted and there's mm -hmm. all these, you know, it's very... Um, taxing and to have someone to just take them for a few minutes is a huge um like refresher even if it's just five minutes you can be stressed out oh take this baby and then five minutes later you're like oh my baby i want them back mm -hmm. so we didn't have that as much and um 
even still, I thought, you know, I can't just let her cry. You know, I hadn't read all the stuff about increased sustained cortisol levels even after they're not crying anymore. They say, oh, they only cry the first night or two, and then they're fine. And then they do these studies that show that actually the brain still is in stress state, still producing the same hormones. They've just given up on verbalizing it. Mm -hmm. And that's heartbreaking because it can affect them for the rest of their lives. So, and then they grow into these little toddlers that, you know, have no, and I think it was in your book where it was described more as, think of your child as a visitor to a city that they don't know the language, they don't mm -hmm. know the customs, they don't know anything. And we treat them so mean over it. Like we expect oh, them yeah. to just behave perfectly. And a lot of times we, um, we're not the best role models. We yell at them and tell them not to yell at us, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, punish them. And then they're punishing their stuffed animals or something. And you're like, that hurts to see. <laughs> so... Yeah, um, those unrealistic expectations for kids, for sure. Yeah. In our culture, we expect them to be uh, constantly preparing for adulthood from the moment they're born, it seems like, mm -hmm. instead of letting them be present now. It's like the equivalent of, and I said this in my book too, if, if somebody made you sit, you know, all day, every day preparing for retirement, I mean, how fulfilling would your life be? So right. we're like always in that mindset of preparing kids, both at school and at home with parenting for kind of in a fearful state that if I don't nip this in the bud now, they're going to be so screwed up when they're adults, though they will never function properly. If I don't force them to cry out in a crib, they're never going to know how to sleep. If I don't yeah. separate them now, if I don't wean them early, they're never going to, which is all, it's all lies. Mm -hmm. They will when they're completely ready. Kids are designed to be dependent. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to be. And when you meet those dependent needs, that, that's when they become independent later, stronger, earlier than kids that are forced into independence before they're ready. Right. And we have deal. noticed our daughter isn't clingy or needy. You know, when we go mm -hmm. hang out with a group of people, she's gone. She has no worries about, you know, whether I'm going to be there or not. She's totally comfortable. And um, we get lots of comments on how well, she's so social. She speaks to me like, you know, a fellow adult. You mm -hmm. know, she will hang out with a, you know, group of adults and just be part of the, uh, the conversation and stuff in her own little way. And for a six-year-old, it just blows people's minds mm -hmm. um, to see that. I would love to hear about the, the unschooling concept, what it yes. is and where did it come about, because we heard about it from you first. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, unschooling is not what it sounds like to most people. It's not uneducating. It's just not doing school. It's not doing school at home. So there's no indoctrination. You're, you're not doing a strict curriculum set up by the government that says your child has to learn all of this according to our timetable. Education is really important to unschoolers, but it doesn't come before the solid foundation of connection and family and, and mm -hmm. pursuing your passions together. So instead of it being the goal, education happens as, as a side effect of living a rich, full, exciting, connected life together, all learning your, in mm -hmm. your own way. So I think that's an important part of it. So it's unschooling is not doing school, basically. But it's a very hands-on role, and it's not for the lazy parent. It is something that you need to really be invested in. Facilitating your child's learning, you need to be ready for that whenever they're interested in something. Mm -hmm. Because we're so misled to believe that there's certain windows of opportunity to learn something when in fact for kids, and oh, you, you don't want to miss that window of opportunity for reading, it's at age five, and their brains, the way they're developing. And that's not true. There's when, the window of opportunity is when your child tells you they're ready or that you, you can tell they're ready for something. So mm -hmm. being in tune and when your child has an interest, bringing as many resources into their lives to learn and grow from based on that interest is really important. 
So my kids have never done a workbook page in their lives. They've never done any formal schoolwork. They've never gone to school. But yet they all know how to read and write. And they're all very happy. To, the two oldest are, have their own professions. And you know, I have four kids. I don't think I mentioned that mm -hmm. in the beginning of the interview. I have a 10-year-old son, a 13-year-old daughter, a 16-year-old daughter, and an almost 19-year-old son. Two boys and two girls. And Devin, my oldest, is a black, professional blacksmith, completely self-taught. I mean, we had to facilitate. I gave up our huge, um, well, I wouldn't say it was huge. It was a pretty good-sized woodshed outside for storage, yeah. and he needed a forge. So nice. I remember spending two days just dragging out everything out of that and throwing it under the trampoline to bring to the dump because we never used most of it. Hmm. And he turned it into a forge. He spent weeks building out there, and he built the, the actual forge inside the forge. It's weird. Mm -hmm. They call a forge where you actually blacksmith with, like the, with the fire a forge, but then the building that you're doing the forging in is also called the forge. Interesting. Very kind of strange. Yeah. Anyway, so he built the forge inside the forge, and he, yeah, he has his own store on Etsy. Um, and he's also a game developer now, so he was just hired by an anarchist, actually, right. <laughs> to, um, to make uh, educational games for kids, and he's loving that and getting paid very well. So he's completely self-taught. Yeah. In that. I do remember reading about how learning to read and do math is a developmental state of the brain, like learning how to walk. One day mm -hmm. they just get it. Mm -hmm. And if you try to teach them to read before their brain is at that point and they aren't as you know, fast at it as they should be, then they're labeled mm -hmm. as dyslexic or, you know, or learning, All yeah, the many, learning disabilities. There's so many labels now, isn't yes. there? Yes, and then they grow up identifying with this label, and when they do get to the point where they would be perfectly able to learn how to read, they already identify with this label, and they don't fully express themselves, and that's so damaging. Mm -hmm. um, Very much so. One of the first things I hear people say when I mention unschooling is that you've got to send your kid to school so they can get an education, and my response always is, well, she learned how to walk without any school. Mm -hmm. She learned an entire language without a day of school. So obviously they can learn outside of school. And mm -hmm. um, you're ahead of us, you've got more kids and they're older. I mean, is there any like drawback or any sign that your kids were like, um, maybe don't have the social skills or don't have the education? Cause I'm sure that's the, that's the main um, thing holding the average person back. No, I mean, I definitely don't think so. I think it's important for unschooling parents to realize when you step into this life, it's about supporting your child and whoever they're going to become. And I think we have to let go of any ideals that we have because a lot of times this could be another way for people to kind of control their child on a path that they like want them to be on. Mm -hmm. You know, if Devin was my only child, he'd be like the perfect unschooler. I'd think that I created this amazing human because mm -hmm. he's very much into everything natural and he, and he makes looms and makes clothing for... Aww. He's just an incredible human. Tiffany's incredible in her own way, but a lot of people may not value what she does. Like she, I, had to, I have to let her become who she's meant to be. She's a professional model. She's into name brand stuff. She she's, likes nice things. I, I, I'm kind of crunchy and hippie. I don't know where that came from, but she's just who she is. And so I think that it's letting go of expectations, letting them become the people that they're meant to be as human beings and not mm -hmm. your ideal outcome. Which is also Do, the opposite of the way the school system is, where it's like a manufacturing plant where the, the, they're all expected to come out the same at the end of this mm -hmm. pipeline. Mm -hmm. I think that's the key, is not controlling and supporting, because their happiness and who they are meant to be as individuals and their process to learning and getting there, if they're loved and supported and not judged, 
and you do the inner work necessary to accept whatever their interests are. Mm -hmm. Like Ivy, my 13-year-old, she's into horror-like makeup. <laughs> Luckily, see, I've always been into kind of heavy metal and kind of dark like horror movies. So for me, that's ultra cool. But I bet for some unschooling parents, they'd be really wigged out by that. Like, ooh, this is like a really, and, and some other people that don't value it from looking from the outside might judge it. Like, wow, look at how much the screws. I've had people write to me about Ivy. Um, like, how can you let your daughter listen to Marilyn Manson? This unschooling is crazy. Like, look at the outcome. Look at the pictures of this child. Cause she's really goth, you know? And she, so she looks like a stereotypical bad kid. Interestingly enough, I have to tell you that like all of her goth friends, they all go to school and they are all troubled kids. So typically and historically, a certain look might put people off of the philosophy, but she is the most kind, loving human I've ever met oh. and the most generous human being uh, on birthdays and Christmases. She, she saves all her allowance and buys everybody gifts. Aww. She's an animal advocate hugely. She makes dinner like almost every night. She says, Mom, don't worry, I wanna help you. She's just not at all. So, so do not judge a book by its cover. Mm -hmm. This life, if you were to line up all four of my kids, they are so all completely different. But yet, awesome. the underlying, so, so my point is, my idea of what's ideal for a child like, had to grow. And what's ideal for a child is who they're meant to become. So I, I think that is, you guys will notice that too as your kids get older. There's gonna be mm -hmm. things that you're like, wow, I need to learn more about this because this is like something I may have judged before. Mm -hmm. And that's the constant, constant journey. And to me, that freedom of expression and allowing them to be who they're meant to be um, is so healing for yeah. us. Because well, mm -hmm. we all know that when you're told you can't do something, it does tend to make you want to do it more. Mm -hmm. And um, with the acceptance mentality of, you know, be who you are and enjoy it and explore, um, that's a much more healthy place to come from, you know, mm -hmm. and it's going to preserve your relationship between parents and children, you know, that you're not being, you know, overly judged and um, right. you have that acceptance and your kids will come to you more with their problems if they know they're not going to be judged mm -hmm. and, um, you know, punished and stuff like that. Well, I think that's an important piece that we haven't really talked about yet is mm -hmm. the parenting side. Yes. I, mean, I mean, the unschooling side, radical unschooling, the title of my book, and philosophically what peaceful parenting and radical unschooling is, is extending the trust that you have with your child's education to every area of their life. Mm -hmm. So my kids have never had bedtimes. They've never been had limits on foods or technology or hygiene. Um, I've never forced them like to brush their teeth against their will or limited certain foods. But yet, they're people. When people hear this, they think it must be like cookies flying all over the house and just like <laughs> dirty looking, you know, messy little. Oh, that's another whole topic because I don't force my kids to to brush their hair, and my youngest has like little dreadlocks. But anyway. Um, it really, the kids find true balance just like adults do mm -hmm. when they're trusted. All of my kids have chosen to be vegan for their own reasons. And so Devin is vegan for the environment. Ivy's vegan for animal rights. Tiffany's vegan for beauty. Nice. Isn't that interesting? That is. Um, yeah, and, and I'm just in it for, I just, my belief in, in, in it. So every aspect of it to support them. So. Um, and my husband is in it because he's an opportunist and that's the food that's there. <laughs> so he's like, we're all vegan, I guess. This is, at least you make good vegan food, so. <laughs> that's so interesting. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, so living a life of freedom and support and giving your kids um, this kind of partnership-based life, they make really good choices with freedom. Mm -hmm. You know, the kids go to bed when they're tired and they sleep for the amount of time they need and they wake up when they're well-rested and there is no healthier way to live than living that way. Um, 
we've always co-slept. Our kids, have, we shared sleep with them. And when they were ready, they moved into their own bedrooms. Mm -hmm. um, they weaned when they were done. They've never um, been forced against their will, like to cry it out. We had home birth. So this came really naturally to me, parenting this way. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know it was a thing, actually. I really <laughs> wish that's the way I would have been brought up. Because right. I would have fit, fit like really well into uh, something like that. And I was the opposite with school. I was just so, just all of it. Um, I, but I mean, my parents, I ended up having to gain my independence because my parents, I, I, they couldn't rule me. So mm -hmm. I was just always anti-authority. And so eventually my parents just gave up and I was allowed to do whatever I want. And then we met a little bit of peace, but still mm -hmm. so then I had the government coming after me for school. Um, but what do you, what do you do when like your kids are doing something bad and, and, and particularly when it's something that could um, endanger them in the future. Yeah, and I kind of wanted to add to that, like when they're too little for reason and, you know, mm -hmm. you want to be respectful and each one be allowed to do their own thing, but where do you find balance with all that? Well, if your child's too young for reason, you need to be present. Mm -hmm. And rules are a replacement for being there. And in our culture, we try to, we, we give rules to try to keep kids safe because it's more convenient than being present with them to ensure their safety. And so it's hugely important if they cannot. People ask me all the time, would you let your kid run across the street? I'm like, I would hold their hand. I would be there. If they were too young right. to not understand that a car could kill them, yeah. there's no way they'd be out alone right. ever without me by their side. Right. And um, so it, it's really common sense in that way where mm -hmm. people are just like, yeah, but what if this? And it's like, you just, presence is everything. Yeah. And, and see, not everybody is willing to do that. Parenting mm -hmm. is, is not something that's put to us in that way. It's like we put a bunch of rules and then if the kids break these rules, we have to enforce them with punitive discipline. We spank them or, or hurt them to try to get them to obey these rules. When in fact, it's, it's so damaging to do all of that when all you have to do is be there. Um, it's not always easy to be though. Mm -hmm. So say I struggle with like where be somewhere my daughter's really enjoying herself and it's time mm -hmm. to go. There's, mm -hmm. I, I've stayed as long as I can. I've gone with it. And it's time to go. And it just breaks her little heart to leave. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she will tantrum and sometimes lash out. I mean, not so much these days. When mm -hmm. she was smaller, it was a complete disaster trying to leave the party and very embarrassing because we have never really punished her in a way that she's fearful to act out. And mm -hmm. so it's very awkward and uncomfortable when it's in front of, you know, all these judgmental people and your kid's freaking out and flailing. Um, just... Do you just remove them physically and as gently as possible? Um, well, I mean, I think it's a matter of, and I'm sure you do this even now, and I do. You always are kind of faced with a decision like, do, do we have to be? Do we have to go? Like, is there right. if, they, if they don't want to go? So this is just one side of it. Like, do we have to go? Well, I guess I could reschedule that, or mm -hmm. I could always call my mother and ask if she can give us a couple more hours. Like, like there is so much flexibility on yes. our parts as parents. It's really rare that we absolutely have to, but if we do have to go, right? Because her needs matter as much as yours, mm -hmm. and I think that's an important thing. But your needs are important too, and obligations come up, and those things happen. So, if that's the case, you know, freedom is about giving children the 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 right to express the full range of human emotions they were born with. Right. So she's a human. There's times she's going to be sad yeah. and pissed off. And yeah. that is without it. You can't let it 
like totally devastate you, I think. And I think what happens is we make it about like, I'm a bad mother. And, and I know I've gone through that where your kids are unhappy and instantly you blame yourself or it triggers insecurities. This isn't right. about keeping kids happy 24 seven, that's controlling. True. You know, honestly, and I think that's something we all have to work on. And it's something in the beginning we think that, like, yes, kids are much happier. They cry mm -hmm. so much less. But then we beat ourselves up when they do show signs of sadness or disappointment because we're like, oh, God, I'm doing something wrong. They're not bliss, right. blissed out all the time. I had to really learn and come to realize that that's not the goal. Right. The goal is to be, like, really true, authentic. And if you really did have to go for whatever reason, an emergency came up or something, empathize mm -hmm. and just be like, I get it, honey. It I really wish we could have changed the appointment here and we didn't have to go, I hear you, I hear you, sweetheart. Like you empathize, you don't try to control. It's hard when you know people are judging you, but you also have to have empathy that they're looking at everything through a different filter. They're looking at everything through the authoritarian paradigm of obedience and compliance, not that your child has a need and they're upset. Mm -hmm. So they're seeing bad kid, bad, what a bad, obnoxious brat. But you know they're looking at it through that filter and it kills you because you know that that's not who your little girl is. Well, and I think too that the ability to not respond in kind. Like when they're freaking out and angry, you want to kind of just lock them down because that's what your parents did. Mm -hmm. And that's the natural response that you've been programmed with is, you know, I need to control this situation and get mad about it too. And once you do that, then you've got this. Once you meet the wills. anger. And yeah. to be able to find that calmness of understanding. And there's a really great book called the, uh, the whole brain child. Mm -hmm. I think it's Peter Siegel. And um, he talks about how the brain isn't emotionally interwoven in the upstairs brain and downstairs brain and left hemisphere and right hemisphere and how to teach them how to, you know, be able to deal with their emotions and that they're not bad for having emotions and mm -hmm. how to, uh, you know, embrace that kind of thing. But that has been the biggest struggle for me is I will end up being like, oh, well, we can push this back and I'll say it's time to leave. No, I don't want to. I really don't want to. So I end up being sort of the pushover where I'll do everything I can, everything I can. And by the time I get to the point where we really have to go, babe, it's like one o'clock in the morning. Like, you know, you, mm -hmm. I'm having fun too, but it's, you know, time to go. By that point, she's like, well, you've, you found all these ways to keep us here all this time. So can't we just stay here again? Like, and she'll still mm -hmm. ask, like, yeah, can we stay? And I'm like, well, where do you, how do you find the balance between I think pushover and working with them and... I think you have to like check in with yourself when it comes to stuff like that. And I've been in that situation too. I think our parents' voices come in our heads and you want to say to her, there's part of you that wants to say to her, do you have any idea how grateful you should be that I, that I pushed it to this time right. and you're being ungrateful? And so like we're triggered because we're, we're being so much more compassionate than, than what was done to us. And, but they, they have no obligation to be grateful for a life that is their birthright of a parent who is kind and natural and nurturing and is, is willing to meet their needs, right? We, we think they should be grateful for not being abused and in turn be more obedient and like more great, but they don't. It's, it's like this mental thing. So when you like realize that, oh my God, I'm getting in that mindset, like she doesn't have the capacity to understand. It's, it's not her fault she hasn't gone through the life I have and that she doesn't have that gratitude because she has no contrast. Mm -hmm. That's when the inner work comes and when we really have to do, um, ask ourselves, what are we feeling right now? We're feeling resentment because she doesn't have any clue in that moment we're feeling resentful that she should be like this is the fantasy mom you've, you've pushed it for three more hours thank you so much let's go let's you're right I, you've really sacrificed so much so I could enjoy myself for three more hours 
And you know what? I have to say that there will come a time where she will be like that, but she's still little. So again, yes. like what's, uh, what's age appropriate or whatever you know, yeah. label you want to give it, understanding that altruism and, and compassion come in time and also like not getting angry and just being like, dude, I'm sorry, we have to go. And I totally hear you're upset and, and maintaining yourself. And that's something that I'm so grateful that I've kind of, I wouldn't, I've almost mastered and it makes all the difference Sorry, because when yeah. you don't, because even if you're like peacefully going through the motions of, okay, sweetie, let's go inside your, she, she feels your oh, energy. Yes. The words can come out. Cause you don't want the, other people to hear it is still there. and nobody else really hears it, but she yes. does. And yes. so your frustration and resentment, she feels mm -hmm. as if you were yelling, you mm -hmm. know? And so she's going to push up against that and resist and be like angry. If you really maintain and take deep breaths and just hold the space and be compassionate and just be like, I hear you. I know it's totally sucks when we have to leave. I hate it when I have to leave places too. Let's, mm -hmm. let's, let's just go. And you just gently, okay, everybody, bye. And you kind of energetically move yourself out. She's going to follow. I mean, have you read the book, The Continuum Concept? Mm -hmm. I, I encourage you to look into it. It talks about like this woman that goes into these tribes. And when there is no resistance, kids naturally follow their parents. And it's mm -hmm. true. I have a video on YouTube of me and my son Orion in New York City. And how I didn't even need to hold his hand. He just followed me. And it was kind of like a little like experiment. A like a horse, a baby horse. So you don't even have, don't announce the big announcement. Five more minutes, you know, three more minutes. We're leaving. We have to go soon. <laughs> Make it much more natural like you would with anybody you cared about. The, the warnings are annoying for kids. You think you're preparing them. They're annoying as hell. You're interrupting her last couple minutes. Just, yeah. it's more like respectful, for example, to just be like, okay, um, we're heading out, guys. You know, I'll see you soon. And come on, honey, I'm, I'm leaving. You just kind of gently make it not such a big deal out of your fear that she's going yes. to resist because it's your fear that's making you be like, okay, what's a peaceful parent? This is going to be hard. This was hard last time, so I better give her seven warnings and then... And as soon as their resistance comes... You panic, you panic because you're like, everybody's like, watching me. I want to say the right words and not let this progress, but mm -hmm. it's such a hard thing to be down and to... Fight mm -hmm. off that uh, instant, like, oh, it's I can't fearful. Let this You're yeah. fearful because you don't want people to judge you, and you know that the last time you did it, it didn't go well. Yeah. But I'll, I'll tell you, it's not always the case. I, I've, I've definitely felt that before, and it's you that has to change. Yes. There's no secret trick. It's just doing less and getting less upset and making it just a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. And it's so much easier. Yeah. Because it is a matter of fact thing. It's not, yeah. a, it's not that big of a deal. You're leaving somewhere and. You know? Well, one of the last things, um, sure. within a family group, when you're um, living this lifestyle of everyone gets treated with respect and their needs are all um, uh, acknowledged, how do you live on a day-to-day -day where everybody's, and you have a bigger family, you know, we mm -hmm. have us three and we struggle with, you know, who wants to do what and when. Um, we have seven have now. Strategies it's for, crazy. Yeah. Well, Devin, my son's girlfriend, moved in with us. She's oh. and he's almost nineteen, and she's she's also unschooled and was parented this way. Oh, wonderful! Wow. Mm -hmm. wow. So now we have really big family, <laughs> <laughs> and so strategies to meet everybody's needs. Yeah. Um, just taking it one moment at a time, I think, and I think authentic parenting is a really kind of sub-label for this because mm -hmm. you are only human too, and you can only do so much and. You seem a lot like me and like we want to do the best we can and we like we know we're capable of being like wonder mom because yeah. like, that's who we are you know we research everything right we I research everything we have just, energy yeah. we're, we're intelligent enough to take this on we we know we can juggle it all and we're so good at multitasking most of the time it, it just flows like when you don't stress over it and you don't plan too much when you really are more 
open to going with the flow, you naturally do just kind of bounce back and forth between everybody. You know, when your kids are really little, you, you don't sit a lot, but as they get older, things change and they become more independent in certain ways. So trust me when I say just take every day as an individual day, but make sure you're well rested and well fed that's the key. and that your needs are met. Yeah. That's really important. And I think that's the hardest thing for parents is to mm -hmm. meet their own needs because we were, but what was modeled to us is that you force everybody to meet your needs. When we were kids, that's what most of the adults did. So we grew up seeing all this force and there's no other way to have our needs met than denying and refusing and punishing. And the truth is, it, the hardest thing is to take care of ourselves and take that responsibility. So always nurturing your own passions, growing as people and expanding as people is so important and for your own happiness. And when you're happy and well-fed and well-rested, mm -hmm. you can take on a lot more than you think. It's very true. And when you run down and exhausted, your tolerance is so much lower. And you know, on those days, it's okay too to be like, honey... I just don't have it in me today. I'm so sorry. I can't, I can't bring you to the mall or what I'm thinking of like kids my age. But there's times where you think of alternative plans, but being authentic. Because if not, you don't want to go, you don't want to go through all these motions with your kids resentful and angry and feeling yucky and, and for them to feel that. So it, it's okay to just say, I'm just not into it today. I'm not feeling it. I'm so sorry. And I'm really happy to bring you tomorrow. And then letting them have the full range of human emotions to that. Most right. of the time it'll be like, all right, because they trust you. Sometimes it might be like, come on, Ma, please. And then you're faced with, oh, I didn't know that they were meeting somebody there. So then it's more problem solving. Okay, well, I could ask my neighbor. They're going that way. Maybe they can take her and drop her. Like, so what I'm saying is just go with the flow. You get more creative, too. Exactly. Once, because sometimes you don't know kids' reasons for something, and then you hear the insistence and why, and that does change your answer. Mm -hmm. So... I, I hate when I hear, like, you have to be consistent. When you say no, it's no. And when you give an answer, right. you can't waver from that. It's so frustrating. It's not true, and it's not reality. information about right. it. Right. And, like, oh, and then, really then you're like, okay, I get it. I get it. I didn't realize that so-and-so was being dropped off of the mall at 2. I didn't know that was part of it. So now we need to, like, let's work together, okay? So, so that's a big part of it. But I think that we're so conditioned to, like, feel like we can't do that, that we feel weird about it. Mm -hmm. So uh, just don't. <laughs> don't feel weird about like meeting your kids' needs. So be consistently loving and consistently caring and willing to be flexible. That's where the consistency needs to come, not in your orders, yeah. in your demands. So I'm really glad that you came because I, I certainly see why they wanted you to come here and they brought you here from the beginning. And because it really goes with the anarchist view of no one having the authority to inflict violence on another person, mm -hmm. you know, no one basically being a master, another person being a slave. And um, I think it's more obvious when it comes to us and the government, but um, it's less obvious with the people that we love the most, our children. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to change the future, we, ha we are all born, we're, we all have parents. So this is something that affects every one of us. And while we can't change the government, we can change how we raise our children. Mm -hmm. So you did a great job at your speech. I mean, thank you. I'm, I'm glad that we. Um, I'm glad that you were here because when she heard that you were going to be here, she was she was excited. It's awesome. On that moment, Aww, on. So, that's so nice. I'm glad they invited you out here. Awesome. Before we go, will you tell them again? Um, uh, your books, the best place to buy them, and the best place to learn more about what you do. Sure. I have a website, danamartin.com, D-A-Y-N-A-M-A-R-T-I-N.com. I also find me on Facebook. Um, I post things there all the time. It's a great way to connect with me. Uh, I have a book. You can get my books um, on my website or on Amazon, so you can read more about them there. And I also, our family also has a YouTube channel 
called The Sparkling Martins. And there was probably like 60 different interviews I've done. We've worked on a lot with TV and so all our TV stuff's on there. Um, we, we've done just really fun family challenges and then we just, I vlog. So I, you can see firsthand what these, our lives are like. Yeah. yeah. I definitely recommend you guys checking it out. Thank you so much again for You're doing welcome. this interview. Thank you so Thanks, much for having me on. It was so fun. You guys are awesome. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.